Well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm so glad that you've joined us tonight. Uh, just a reminder, uh, we've started a new series. Previously, we were doing Psalms, uh, a study through the Psalms on Wednesday nights, but starting uh, this past Sunday, we start a series through the book of Acts, where we're looking at how we as a church fulfill the call that God has planted on us. And in order for us to get through the book of Acts, I wanted to take Wednesday nights to go through these sections in the book of Acts as well. So last Sunday, a couple of days ago, we did Acts 1, 1 through 11. Tonight, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 12 uh, through the end of the chapter. Now, what's so exciting about this is that as we look at the first century church, as we look at this church that was birthed uh, with followers of Jesus, created by the Spirit of God, uh, it is an amazing thing how that the trajectory of that first century church helps us uh, today see how that we can press forward uh, victoriously, courageously, confidently in the 21st century. Uh, so as we look at tonight, uh, Sunday we looked at verses 1 through 11, we talked about the calling, how that uh, we uh, fulfill our calling by sharing Jesus or telling others about Jesus. And we really hinged on uh, verse 8 of chapter 1. Uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses for me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Tonight, we're going to see how that we move forward in fulfilling our calling when we agree together in prayer. Prayer is a key component to what the first century church was all about. We'll see it time and time and time again. In the summary statements of the church that we'll look at in Acts chapter 2, and again in Acts chapter 4, and later on in Acts chapter 9, we'll see that the church was committed to a unified prayer together. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We as a church fulfill our calling when we agree together in prayer. Martin Luther said that whenever I have prayed earnestly, I have always received more than I have asked for. And that's certainly true of the first century church. Uh, as we look at what they prayed for in Acts 1 and what God delivered in Acts 2, we see that God gave them far more than what they had asked for. John Calvin said, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. When we talk about prayer corporately as the church, we need to understand we are family, and family get together to talk to our Heavenly Father, and we need to pray fervently. So look in your copy of Scripture, Acts chapter 1. Let's begin by looking at verses 12 through 14. We're going to spend most of our time with verse 14. So again, remember the setting. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, we see that the disciples are staring up in the heavens, and the two angels said, uh, stop staring up in heaven, uh, go back to Jerusalem as Jesus left, so he's returning, so get ready for his return. Now, verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James, 
These all continued, verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. So what we see here is the gathering in the upper room of the closest followers of Jesus. These are the ones that Jesus had spent the most time with in the 40 days following his uh, resurrection and before Pentecost. Jesus spent the majority of his time with his disciples, 11 of them now. Uh, Judas Iscariot had committed suicide. Uh, And so now we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, the brothers of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and the other women, unnamed but prominent, in the story of the first century church. Uh, And what are they doing? They are gathering together in prayer. They went to an upper room, and it says that they all continued with one accord, praying to God the Father. It's been said that Satan trembles when he sees even the weakest saint on his knees in prayer. This is the work. It's not preparatory for the work. This is the work. This is the work of the church. We are family, and we must gather together, and we must pray. When we pray, we grow in intimacy with God as the church, as family. When we pray, as the disciples prayed, we grow in intimacy with God. Do you ever find yourself in a fog of uncertainty Uh, where confusion or need seem to be uh, the diet of the day or the season or the year. We've definitely been in a season of confusion and need. Uh, With all the uh, uncertainties that we have faced during COVID, we know that that confusion and chaos could reign. Uh, But it's no more confusing than what the first century church was experienced, these disciples and, and, and the other followers of Jesus and the ladies uh, that gathered there in the upper room, they were filled with confusion, the uncertainty of tomorrow. But Jesus had promised them power, and so they got together, and they got on their knees, and they began to pray. And what prayer began to do for them, it began to develop them. It, it, it helped them navigate through uh, the decisions that they had to make as they waited for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, as we look at this passage, I want us, the family called First Norfolk, to see that when we, gr- when we pray together, we grow in intimacy with God. And intimacy... Intimacy with God and with one another grows in that kind of communication. Intimacy grows through communication and prayer is that supernatural communication with God. And when we pray together, we are communicating with one another in one accord with the Father where we grow in intimacy together as a family and we grow in intimacy with God. That's what we see. They uh, all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They continued in prayer. That term for continue is really a picture of persistence. We're going to see it again in Acts 2, 42, where it says, and they continued in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Now, what that means is they latched on to this one thing and they wouldn't let go. 
And that one thing here in verse 14 is prayer. They were energetically committed to consistency in their conversations with God, and they did it together. Now, friends, understand that God will not be manipulated, but he may be loved. Prayer is our avenue for deepening our love for him. God will not be manipulated, but he will be loved. And when we talk with him in prayer, we are deepening our love for him. And when we talk together as family in prayer, we deepen our love for one another as well as our love for him. We must have constancy in prayer. Intimacy grows through communication. Intimacy, secondly, grows through harmony. We grow in intimacy when we live in harmony together as the family. Here is a simple principle. Disharmony dismantles intimacy. Oh, we know this to be true in uh, our relationships with our loved ones as husbands and wives, spouses. Uh, uh, conflict is a certainty in a marriage. It happens in my marriage. It happens in your marriage. Conflict is a certainty in marriage. But unsettled conflict is a choice. Unsettled conflict that leads to a disunity and a disharmony in the marriage is dangerous because disharmony dismantles intimacy. The same thing is true in our relationship with God and in our relationship as the family of faith called First Norfolk and our relationship with God. Intimacy grows through harmony. Again, look at verse 14. These all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. One accord means that this is a group of missionary followers of Jesus Christ praying continually in the same direction. Their prayer was not a group of individuals promoting personal need based upon a pessimistic purpose. But they prayed the will of God in concert with the Spirit of God. The term one accord means that they had a single-minded purpose in their prayer. And what was that single-minded purpose? That God would be glorified, that the Holy Spirit would fall upon them, that they would accomplish their calling. What is their calling? To tell others who Jesus is. Even hostile environments like the Sanhedrin that would attack them later on, or the Roman governments, uh, or the uh, uh, city populaces that were ramped up with uh, worship of other gods, they would be opposed to hearing about Jesus. But what prayer does is prayer unites us together in a single cause, and that cause is God's glory. His glory uh, being unleashed and unveiled through his church. Uh, we grow in intimacy with God through harmony as a church. In prayer, we gather together with one voice and one heart. Again, it's what Paul was talking about in Philippians 2 when he talks about harmony there. He says, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, uh, uh, let, uh, let, let my joy uh, abound. Uh, as, we, uh, as you, the church, gather with one heart, being of one mind. Homothumadon. It's where we gather together with a singular purpose 
for God's glory. That's the harmony that we need as the body of believers called the church. We persist in fulfilling our calling when we pray with a singular focus for God's glory. Not only do we pray with a singular focus for God's glory, intimacy grows through communication. That's prayer. Intimacy grows together as the family of faith as we pray together. Intimacy grows through harmony, and that's where we, the family of faith, uh, with one voice and one heart and one mind, pray in unison together for God's glory to be unveiled. Uh, Finally, we see in this passage that intimacy grows through submission. Intimacy with God, intimacy with one another, grows through submission. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, the prayer part is calling upon God to be glorified. The supplication part is where we're crying out to God for direction and submitting ourselves to God's will. Supplication is a picture of a needy person uh, asking God for help. That's supplication. Um, as we join together as the family, we are family, as we join together as the family of faith called First Norfolk in prayer, we grow in intimacy with God as we together submit ourselves to the leadership that God provides. I don't know if you've ever uh, taken a plane ride to a foreign city, rented a car, and not known how to get around that foreign city or that that strange it doesn't have to be in a foreign country it might be in new york city you don't know how to get from point a to point b but you have to drive a car so you get the car you rent the car and you get the gps going and you plug in your address and and uh, you don't know what avenue h is or uh, you don't know what 54th street is but but you know that that gps knows what you don't know so you plug in the address where you're going and And it begins to take you on a turn-by-turn direction on how to get to your destination. Can I humbly suggest that when we submit to the leadership of the GPS, uh, it will get us eventually to where we want to go. Even more importantly, as we the church, the family, we are family, as we submit ourselves in supplication, in prayer to God, He gives us the leadership that we need to get us where we want to go, where he wants us to go. You see, prayer is not us giving a laundry list of things we expect God to do, even in the supplication. Supplication is not us giving a, a, a personal prayer list of things that we want, although it can include that. Primarily, supplication is where we're saying, God, we don't know how to fulfill the calling given the circumstances that we face. So we're asking you to give us direction on how to fulfill our calling given the circumstances that we face. Oh, what a difference it would make in our church. Oh, what a difference it would make in our homes. Oh, what a difference it would make in my life if instead of me pretending like I know how to get from point A to point B, I would submit myself to God in prayer. And say, God, I don't know what to do. God, I, and, and that's hard for guys like me. That's hard for me to ask directions. I don't know how to get 
to where I need to go, but God, I'm asking you to show me for your glory. Help me fulfill the calling that you've placed upon our lives. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus said this. He said, um, your Father in heaven knows the things you have need of even before you ask. Do you realize that God knows the needs that you have even before you cry out to him for help? He's already at, at, at ready to work to meet the needs that we have, give us the direction that we need in order to fulfill the purpose for which he has called us. But we must get in a posture of submission. Prayer is that posture of submission to God's perfect direction. Prayer says, God, I don't know. I don't, even, I don't even know the right question to ask. I certainly don't know the right answer. God, I don't know how to move forward, how to navigate from point A to point B. I don't know how to bring you glory in the given circumstances that we're facing. God, I just don't know. But I know that you know, and I know that you are ready to give me the answers that, that we need in order to accomplish the purpose that you've given us. You see this lived out for the disciples and, and those in the upper room. Uh, in, in a posture of submission, the disciples cry out to God. Now listen in verse 24 and following. It seems like a strange little circumstance, but, but it's an important circumstance. Beginning in verse 24, uh, well, uh, uh, beginning in verse 20, they're saying we need to find someone to take over the, the place that Judas Iscariot had left open. And so they they determined that they were going to do that, and they proposed two names, verse 23, Joseph uh, called Barsabbas and uh, Justice, uh, who is uh, known, uh, who is, uh, uh, and Matthias. So uh, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is surnamed Justice, and Matthias. There's four names, but only two people. Um, and so, verse 24, and so they prayed, and they said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. You see, see what what happens here? A couple of things. First of all, they needed to replace Judas, and so uh, they had two individuals, Justice and Matthias, and, uh, and, and so they didn't know which of the two to take. So they talked to God in submission. They could have easily uh, taken a tally of all the people in the room and said, who do you think, who do you think, who do you think? That would have been the democratic way, but, but they, 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 they didn't want the democracy. They wanted more than that. They wanted who God wanted. And so uh, they ask God, and just a couple of phrases, you, O Lord, who know the heart of all. This is a key component in uh, submission to God. God knows our hearts, but he also knows the hearts of those around us. He knew the heart of justice. He knew the heart of Matthias. He knew the heart of the disciples and the apostles. He, he knew everybody's heart, and he knew the perfect answer to their request because he knows the heart. And God knows the heart of of all of us. He knows where we are perfectly, and so he can give the perfect answer and give the perfect direction to us in our church. 
in our family. He knows your heart. He knows everything about your heart. He knows your desires, your ambitions. He knows your rebelliousness. He knows mine as well. He knows the heart of all. And so when we cry out to him, God, will you give me direction? He understands our heart and he gives us the direction that moves us forward as a church to fulfill his mission. God knows perfectly where we are. He knows the deep needs that we have. And he knows the right answer to those deep needs. So as we look at this passage, I want to encourage you to join me in praying. Uh, before COVID hit, we would pray one hour, uh, one minute for one thing at one o'clock every day. I, I don't know if you still do this, but I, I, it's still on my calendar. That, that one o'clock for one minute uh, for, a, uh, at, uh, for one thing every day is still... It's still on my, on my uh, uh, to-do list. I, I want us to begin again praying for one thing every single day. I pray together for one thing in unison with one heart, uh, opening our hearts to the Father, uh, submitting ourselves to Him. And guys, if there's ever a time in the history of our church where we needed God's powerful direction it's this time where we need him to move uh, us forward in the way that he is designed and desires it's this time and so I want to encourage you to join me praying and we're going to uh, roll out some things in the weeks ahead on how we can pray together uh, but just begin with this prayer uh, just join me in praying Lord Draw us to yourself that we might have fullness of joy. Lord, teach us to fear you and to trust you completely. Help our church, our family, be humble before you so that we might be consumed with your presence and shine your glory. Make us and our church what you want us to be, to honor you. Would you join me in praying that? Look, again, listen. Lord, draw yourself, draw us to yourself that we might have the fullness of joy. Teach us to fear you and to trust you completely. Help our church be humble before you so that you might be con so that we might be consumed with your presence and shine your glory make us and our church what you want us to be so that we might honor you once again listen lord draw us to yourself that we might have the fullness of joy teach us to fear you and to trust you completely help our family, our church, be humble before you so that we might be consumed with your presence and shine your glory. Make us, make our family, our church, what you want us to be so that we might honor you. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he bless your coming in and your going out 
And may he fill your heart with a yearning and an urgency to talk with him in prayer. God bless you. Good night.